Similar to a well-tuned automobile, a guitar requires the same level of attention to perform at its very best. No matter how expensive your guitar may be, we will treat you and your instrument with the utmost respect. Call 920-723-1733 or visit jeffsguitar.com. Jeff's Guitar Clinic in Fort Atkinson, we love guitars. The attorneys at Jingris, Thompson & Walks have had the honor of receiving numerous awards for their work both in and outside the courtroom. But just as important as receiving accolades for being skilled attorneys, it's equally important to give back to the community in which they live and work. If you want a personal attorney that can help you in so many different areas, they've got them. They're in Eau Claire, Madison, Milwaukee, and Waukesha. They're easy to reach. GTWlawyers.com. That's GTWlawyers. Welcome to another podcast. It's sliceoffice.com brought to you by our friends at the Operating Engineers, Local 139. Also, Teamsters, Madison Teamsters, Local 695. Joining us now, Peter Rickman from MASH in Milwaukee. Peter, good to talk to you. Great to be on here with you today, Sly. Thanks well, for having me. I'm sure you know uh, that of morning television, Mika Brzezinski is sort of the Mother Jones of television. Uh, so he, <laughs> I can't say that with a straight face. Here is a uh, here is Mika talking to Pete Buttigieg about uh, our economic situation right now. I'm working on most of the time. So, uh, Mr. Secretary, I want to ask you about the supply chain issue as well as the labor shortage, which seems somewhat connected. I know that the White House set up the supply chain disruptions task force, but we're seeing across the country um, an issue with this, with companies not being able to do work because supplies haven't come in, but also with people who won't come to work. Uh, labor shortage that is literally crippling small businesses and uh, creating scenarios that are unimaginable, whether it's restaurants or stores or major department stores or small businesses that try to provide services and products to people. This is kind of at a fever pitch at this point. I, 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 I kind of feel like I'm not sure exactly how this is going to sort itself out. Is there something specific being done to deal with these two issues at the same time? Well, he didn't really answer the second question because he's transportation secretary. He talked about the, the first problem. I just want to talk about her question there. How much does you, that... You mean how she repeated what a production assistant yeah. you know, wrote down and <laughs> right. had no idea what she was saying? That, that thing. All right, so... Uh, that has to drive you crazy. Well, it's uh, generous of you to call her uh, asking a question there. That was just a bunch of screeds. Uh, it was a screed of a bunch of talking points called straight from the, you know, uh, the, the National Manufacturers Association or the uh, U.S. Chamber of Commerce or, or whatever else. I, I mean, it wasn't even presented all that effectively, but... No, no, no. And, you know, I'm, I'm far closer to Adam Smith here than what uh, Mika Brzezinski is to uh, Mother Jones. But, you know, this, this really does point out, Fly, here that we're living in a, a land through the looking glass where, you know, business uh, employers generally are just totally forgetting all their pay on to capitalism that hey, they've raised up forever and ever and you know, uh, every time they've extolled the genius of the market, I don't know if it was if it was you know idolatry for for their free market fundamentalism or what. But the truth is, uh, 
you know, when there are a shortage of people to them that are willing to come work for them, the question isn't, ooh, what's the tra- Secretary of Transportation going to do about it? What's the federal government going to do to bail me out? It's really, you know, what do I need to do in these market conditions to address the reality? I need to grasp reality with both hands and say, people don't want to come to work. So maybe what I need to do is adjust the quality of employment. Sure, that should probably start with raising wages. That's the genius of the price system, as Milton Friedman or Friedrich Hayek would have to say. Not that I want to, you know, give them any credit for anything, uh, you know, insightful, but that's just basically how capitalism works here. There's a labor market, and businesses are struggling as employers to find folks to work for them because after generations of stuffing down wages and eliminating virtually any market bargaining power for working people, the moment a modicum of labor market bargaining power comes back and workers are able to drive up wages, um, not quite to the level that they should be, you know, had wage gains kept pace with productivity growth, what we contribute to this economy as working people, the minute any labor market bargaining power shows up on the side of the ledger that working people are on, and it might mean that employers and businesses have to raise wages. They forget everything they've ever learned about functioning in a market economy. So I'm sorry, Mika, and I'm sorry, businesses around the country, if you want working people to come work for you, stop calling it a labor shortage and start getting your head out of your rear end and start improving job quality. And we can talk a lot about that fly across different sectors and what it means in different industries. But the solution to this isn't going to be some sort of bailout of forced labor being put onto the market for these kinds of employers and operations. It's going to be when businesses and government and working people are collectively able to sit down and figure out what's going to work in their industry and their sector for each one of these workplaces. Do you remember when we first started talking about $15 an hour? This is, what, 10 years ago? I think it's when I first met you. Yeah, I think I think people like me, you know, uh, hidebound radicals, you know, from another uh, era. <laughs> we're talking about a fifteen dollars an hour minimum wage, you know, in twenty eleven, twenty twelve, something like that. It was sort of a crazy idea out there, uh, you know, so to speak. But it was, it was seen as a crazy idea slide because minimum wage had not grown, nor had median wages nor, had not grown with productivity gains and, and you know, the, the swelling of our economy as a whole. So anyone with half a brain and, you know, the ability to look over BLS statistics or any working person who's tried to figure out how to make it to the end of the month could tell you, I mean, my gosh, wages are way too low and we need to do something to boost them up. Now, Sly, today, it, the, the number is about twenty four, twenty five. Back then, it would have been around $20, $22 an hour, something like that. But you know, what what we're talking about here is had minimum wage kept pace with productivity gains, um, much less, you know, the growth of CEO pay or bonuses, you know, it'd be in the $30 per hour range. But, you know, $15 an hour was seen as crazy radical because it was a, more than doubling of what the minimum wage was. But the truth is minimum wage and our median wage is what ordinary everyday working people can expect to bring home in their paycheck has just been so far behind. So, yeah, it might have been something like 10 years ago. It was a wild demand then. I mean, now it's the market standard. Well, I was going to say, you know, I see lots of banners now with starting wages at 15 to $20 an hour. Isn't it funny, the moment that there was a little bit of pressure on employers, they immediately 
started raising their wages after years of saying, we could never make a go with paying people those wages. Of course, there's another uh, contributing factor here that we talked about the other day, and that is hours. You know, $20 an hour if you're only working 23 hours a week isn't very much money. Well, that's why I'm referencing here, Sly, the, the differences that will address these challenges that employers uh, are facing in, in different sectors. And, you know, if we're talking about the service and hospitality sector, that's one that I, I know particularly well. I mean, I could fake it till I make it on, on other sectors, but <clears throat> certainly in the service and hospitality sectors, which is where the so-called labor shortage, the so-called workforce shortage uh, has been so pronounced, and that I think a lot of your listeners probably feel because they go out to restaurants, they stay at hotels, they go to, you know, events, whatever. <clears throat> In the service and hospitality industries, you know, the labor market has been built upon just straight-up sweated labor, um, low-wage, part-time work uh, that does not provide benefits, you know, aside from the fact that the work itself is very difficult um, and that ranges from bosses not providing dignity, respect to workers. There's no rights on the job. To the fact that many people will deal with, you know, customers or or, or in public facing roles. You know, that's true whether you're a bartender or a server. Uh, it's true if you're a janitor or a cook as well. You deal with that kind of thing. We've had workers so, ki- we've had workers killed because they enforced a mask ordinance. <laughs> well, and you know, there's there's obviously a. <clears throat> a changing nature of that kind of customer public-facing work in the service and hospitality industries over the last year and a half. But the reality is that's just an extreme version of what's been going on in these industries for so long. The truth is, Sly, service and hospitality work has grown up in an era with all the bargaining power on the side of bosses, and it frankly has not worked for workers And I would argue that it hasn't really worked that great for employers and businesses as well. But now in the the, the sheen of it, the the, the facade has been ripped off and employers are saying, well, it definitely doesn't work for us now. But no one's really coming at this fly from the employer side, from the Chamber of Commerce side, from the business side. And and truthfully, not enough from the policymaker side saying, how are we going to address this set of problems? It's not just simply, well, let's pay people more. Because, you know, if I can get 20 bucks an hour in a service or hospitality industry job, but I can also get it somewhere else, um, chances are pretty good. I'm probably going somewhere else because the whole myriad factors that are complicating job quality and service and hospitality work. And I also don't want to do that with a customer telling me I'm an asshole and my boss saying, why are you such an asshole to these customers? Can I say that here? Yep. Okay, cool. We don't have to edit it out. Nope. Yeah. All right. Well, then I'm going to go wild. I forgot I can say that kind of stuff. Absolutely. Aren't bosses assholes? (laughs) (laughs) Look at me go. Uh, I I guess technically I'm the boss of this company that makes this. So I guess I'm an asshole. Uh, People have said that for years. Uh, Here is a. You're you're exploiting your own labor supply. I think it's a little different. Speaking (laughs) Speaking of assholes, here's a clip from the Fox News channel, The Simpletons that make up the program, The Five. Wasn't that pleasant? Yo, Dagan, it's kind of weird that I am a small business owner. 
that I know more about economics than an 80-year-old president of the United States. If you pay more people, you're going to have to raise all the salaries, and then you're going to have to start letting go workers so you can afford the higher salaries, or you increase the price of your product, which then increases inflation, and that's what you're going to see. Did I just explain yes. Economics 101? I think I deserve a Nobel Prize. So I have a 10-page article from the Wall Street Journal <laughs> oh, that great. I plan to read <laughs> no, the entirety no. of it out loud in this segment about how much uh, the goods that um, are going up in price, that companies are having to raise all these prices. Inflation's clearly become a huge issue for the White House, but Joe Biden keeps coming out and saying, we're going to spend more money, so that's going to help inflation. And actually, people's wages, when adjusted for inflation, are going down. Mm -hmm. They're down in the most recent month, and they're down over the last year. But that whole I, that is the one thing that I wrote down. We kept you open. Oh, he's such a benevolent king, and that business owner is just something plebe. That is the thinking of somebody who has been in politics for five decades. It's awful. Screw that. Oh my God, make it stop. Make it stop. <laughs> my ears are bleeding. Slide, before you play Did that, that literally game, make your hair hurt? You gotta, you gotta warn people about that. I mean, not, not just your listeners here, but I'm a delicate flower. <laughs> yeah, I know you are. And when I have to listen to that kind of crap, it's just... I, I almost yelled over the top, but I, I'm a disciplined and respectful person to you. But I, I just I don't even know where to start with that slide other than just saying this. Um, first of all, that's not economics. Um, <laughs> just how businesses choose to operate isn't some sort of lofty field worth studying. I mean, <laughs> come on. Um, but, you know, the, the notion that <clears throat> prices are set solely on the basis of the cost of a business is just on its face outrageous. Prices are set based upon not only willing sellers, but willing buyers in the market. That's economics. I mean, that's the price system. That's capitalism. I don't love it. In fact, I actively dislike it, the system we're talking about here. But, like, the study of that, like, I, I know it. I understand it. So get off your high horse there just because you're on the Fox News program and your, you know, listeners, your viewers will lap that crap up. It doesn't make it true. But, you know, whether a business chooses to increase its prices or not because it has to pay workers more is, is really something that is rooted in whether it feels like it has an entitlement to sweated labor and whether it feels like it has an entitlement to maintaining a certain level of profit per sale. Um, you know, it, and we could spend all day slide going into exactly what the mathematics are behind that. I'm not Paul Ryan. I'm not going to try to give people some sort of nerdy lecture in simplistic terms. But the reality is our world is much more complicated than that. <clears throat> and when it comes down to things, you know, inflation has never been, you know, really rooted in what working people make in the uh, post-1973 era. And I, I just, I think that when Fox News is doing this, they're just caping for the big business, you know, employer class that wants to keep holding down wages and to try to struggle through this moment where labor market bargaining power has tipped ever so slightly towards working people. And they do that by continuing to fleece their viewers and listeners into buying into some sort of, you know, off-brand, off-kilter notion of what makes an economy in the 21st century work. doesn't make it true. In fact, there's a lot that's wrong there. But the, the listeners here just need to see through that for what it is. It's propaganda for the free market fundamentalism that has put us in a place where we have um, economic and social markers that in some ways are indicative of third world status. So guys, come on, 
we're done with that kind of crap. Let's talk about how we're going to build a real economy that delivers for working people in the 21st century. Peter Rickman with us. Milwaukee Area Service and Hospitality Workers will be right back. Sly'sOffice.com. I want to thank all the labor unions here in Dane County that help keep Sly'sOffice.com up and going so you keep up to date. Whether it be the Madison Firefighters, Local 311, or the Madison Teamsters, Local 695, or our friends at Madison Teachers Incorporated. These are some of the most active local unions who organize, 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 and constantly stand up for workers. Thank you from SlyesOffice.com. When you're looking for a new computer or need help with one you already own, call 231-8000 and Madison Computerworks will get things up and running for you. Madison Computerworks, computers that work for you. We're back at SlyesOffice.com, brought to you by our friends at Madison Computer Works. Computers that work for you. Great folks. Treat their workers well. Give them full benefits. We love them. Also, Jeff's Guitar Clinic in Fort Atkinson. All right, Peter Rickman, uh, I want to ask you a little bit about something Joe Manchin said the other day. Um, oh, my God. Thank you for the trigger warning. <laughs> okay. Now... He uh, he was talking about the he was talking about the human infrastructure bill, and he he doesn't want an entitlement society. And he started talking about the dollar store now having to pay now having to charge more than a dollar for many items. And he says inflation hurts his employees. Can you explain to his his constituents? Would you explain to me how getting universal daycare passed is going to be responsible for? Prices going up at the dollar store? Well, I want to call into question this notion that Joe Manchin is bringing to the discussion about an entitlement society. And for decades, we've had an employer class, uh, you know, a a 1%, as it were, uh, or just, you know, your everyday sort of small business owner with this entitlement mentality that they're entitled to someone else's labor and that they're entitled to... You know, whether it's run a five-person operation or a 5,000-employee uh, thing or a $5 billion, you know, revenue company, that, that they're entitled to be able to run a business, you know, and social consequences be damned. That's the sort of entitlement society we've been dealing with. And, and, and let me flip that around here, Sly. You know, whether we're saying this as, hey, I was an American, I deserve blah, 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 you know, whatever it is. Like, every person, by virtue of living as a human being, is entitled to decent income to decent work you know people should be able to work people should be able to work that's part of how we contribute to the world you know uh, as uh, folks here who are well versed in catholic social teaching we recognize that's part of the role that human beings play in 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 creation we we shape the world with our work we contribute to it we contribute to society but we're also entitled to health we're entitled to education we're entitled to have um these these basic fundamental social rights. And <clears throat> that's the social right to health care. It's the social right to education. It's the social right here for our children to be taken care of. I don't think you can run a society, you can't run an economy in the 21st century without our kids being taken care of. That's, that's social reproduction. You know, that's how we propagate our society, our economy, generation after generation. So to draw some false distinction between roads, bridges, rail, and airports and, say, taking care of kids or providing uh, decent education or guaranteed health and dental care to folks, 
I mean, that's just a false dichotomy rooted in a world long since passed here. And it doesn't pass muster with a world in which uh, both parents in a typical household are working or some households are only one parent. You can't have a society, you can't have an economy without kids being taken care of. And by the way, kids getting taken care of is not someone being paid the glorified babysitter rate of five bucks an hour per kid. I mean, you know, even if we did that, our um, early education centers, whether in a public school system or an in-home daycare or wherever else, would be making far more than the $10, $12 an hour they've been getting paid. So we need to dramatically increase the pay for this caring economy set of workers. Um, and we need to dramatically bring down the costs to working people for their kids to be in daycare. Um, we've got to bring that cost down to zero because this is part of having a functional society and a functional economy just as much as having roads and bridges and railways and airports. Well, former Senator from West Virginia, Jay Rockefeller, agrees with you. Interesting that the billionaire on this issue is better than the millionaire. Um, <laughs> well, you know. What kind of world do we live in where we leave our public discourse solely to millionaires and billionaires. And that's part of the problem here. I, I don't know if this is what you're pointing at. Well, I don't know about you, but I'd take Jay Rockefeller over Joe Manchin any day. Uh, I would too, but, but I'd, take, I'd take Sly in the U.S. Senate over just about every other person there. And I think most of your listeners might do just as good, if not better, job. And that's not some sort of anti-elite sentiment. That's an anti-U.S. Senate sentiment in many ways because that institution has been broken. And it gives people oh, like I get expelled. You know what I do? I put gum in Kristen Cinema's hair. I do something. <laughs> I'd behave like an eighth eighth grader. Well, you know, most of them behave like eighth graders, <laughs> right. or, or, or worse, because they're always acting out for attention. I mean, do you do you see any other? Oh, never get in the never get in the way of Joe Manchin and a camera. Right, right. Those two have been acting out for attention, as opposed to helping to move forward the Biden agenda. You know, and, and I think. It, you know, any of your listeners who've ever heard me before, and I'll just go ahead and say it, know that I was strong for Bernard Sanders, independent of Vermont, for president of the USA. That was my guy. And I was a co-chair of the campaign here in Wisconsin. I was uh, the, the delegation leader from Wisconsin for, for Bernard Sanders and uh, his representative on the, 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 the DNC platform committee from Wisconsin. He is my guy. And if I could vote for him again, I would every time. So Joe Biden was not my candidate for president. <clears throat> But I recognize here that for our country to be in the place that we need it to be, Joe Biden's agenda needs to be successful, needs to be adopted. Now, largely, I would argue that Bernie Sanders' agenda has been incorporated to the greatest degree possible in line with Joe Biden's values as president in the you know, Build Back Better Act. And so for Joe Manchin and Kirsten Sinema to sit here and say, and say, well, we can't, we can't move on the Biden agenda is absolutely an anti-democratic, capital D, Democrat. Well, I actually I actually looked. It, it looks to me like the people of West Virginia and Arizona who uh, have a much higher poverty rate than the national average could use some of this help. Uh, well, I, this, so there is that. Is, sorry, you, you took me on a tangent here, Sly, and I wanted to stay on it. Let's just say this. You know, if we could do anything, wave a magic wand tomorrow and, and guarantee health care and education and living wages and union rights to every working person in America, states like Arizona and West Virginia would do better comparatively than most every other state. Their people would be lifted up most. So 
those senators need to stop acting out for their own camera time and start acting in alignment with Democrats like Joe Biden and adopting the Build Back Better Act for the good of our people and for the good of the people they represent. You're never going to get invited on Joe Manchin's yacht in Washington. I'm sorry. By the way, Leo Girard, retired president of the United Steelworkers, told me one time he got an invitation for a politician on a yacht. And he used some colorful language, but he wasn't going to go. He said the only boat he's getting on is his fishing boat, uh, but he's got to fix his outboard motor first. So I uh, ask you, as we had a conversation the other day in Milwaukee. Eating uh, barbecue. At, it, correct. Um, you ate much healthier than I did. But I will ask you, <laughs> you brought something up to me uh, that is an alternative to universal basic income, which we've been hearing about. And I know that the mayor in Madison has been dabbling in it and talking about it. Explain universal basic income in your alternative proposal. Well, universal basic income, Sly, is this idea, and where, you know where the the genesis of it came from really doesn't matter. You, you got to evaluate it in the current context of our world and what it would be like in the future. But it, it is just basically providing to every single person uh, a set amount of money per month, sort of like a an allowance. And I don't fundamentally oppose the idea of of large transfers of wealth from the wealthiest, you know, people in America and giant corporations with massive profits through the government in taxation into the hands of ordinary, everyday working people. That alone sounds pretty good to me, but it should be done on the basis of things like a guarantee of health care, a guarantee of dental care, a guarantee of education, etc. What I really dislike about the universal basic income discourse is that it has become a stand-in for something far more important and far more relevant. Universal basic income is becoming a, a, a sort of popularized discussion point because folks around the political spectrum and, you know, wherever they happen to be, whether it's in Madison or, you know, in Boston or, you know, Wisconsin or Washington, anywhere, um, have recognized that living standards, household income, are just not where they need to be. Economic inequality is at or above the level it was in the Great Depression. I'm sorry, in the Gilded Age that preceded and brought on the Great Depression. Folks are recognizing that, in fact, working people need more of a fair shake from what this economy provides to us. We contribute so much to the growth of the richest economy in the history of the world, and we're getting so little back. But folks are saying, well, let's do universal basic income to lift people up. That's a dodge, frankly. Slide the, 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 the root of our... Uh, economic crisis for working people. This income inequality economy is an imbalance of power between the boss class and the working class. So for Democrats or self-styled progressives to say, well, let's do universal basic income is their way of saying they just want to, you know, stick their fingers in the ears and say, nah, 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 anytime anyone wants to talk about power between the boss class and the working class. They don't want to tackle that. You know, too many Democrats and progressives want to do everything but talk about the fundamental struggle between the boss class and the working class in a given workplace or across an economy. And so they come up with these measures to distract and get away from that fundamental problem here. And so I don't support universal basic income in that regard, because we need Democrats, we need progressives, we need policymakers in office to confront that 
uh, contradiction, that struggle between working people and those who employ us, and get at the heart of why we are able to get so little of the wealth that we create with our labor. So it's not going to be, oh, let's just tax rich people and transfer you know, $1,200 a month to people. By the way, our landlords are just going to suck that right up. Um, <clears throat> what we need to do is get to the heart of the matter and say, we're going to balance power between the boss class and the working class, and we're going to provide you know, the basic fundamental social rights that, that I mentioned before. If every person in America was guaranteed health care, and every person in America was guaranteed a decent education, not because it's training and workforce development, but because we believe education is just a good unto itself. If every person was guaranteed dignity and income security in their retirement, um, and every person were guaranteed you know, certain benefits when they have children, for example, we were talking about before, early childhood education or you know, parental benefits that folks can stay home with their kids. I, I don't know, something along the lines of what they do in the Nordic countries. Um, and every person who worked for a living was guaranteed that they were going to have some power in the labor market with a voice and a seat at the table. They're going to be able to collectively deal with the employer class and their industry. Um, you know, I think we'd be able to address this income inequality economy. What I'm describing here, slide <clears throat> doesn't have to be some sort of radical vision, but it does get at the heart here of, of this fundamental problem that we have, the income inequality economy that produces tremendous wealth for an entirely tiny fraction of the population and immiserates the vast majority of us and keeps too many of us from realizing, you know, the, the life that we deserve to live by virtue of just being human beings with our needs taken care of and the chance to flourish. If we could remedy that income inequality economy by balancing power between the boss class and the working class, so we are, into, we are able to achieve more of the gains of the wealth that we create with our labor, that which we're entitled to. We wouldn't need to be having a discussion about universal basic income. So this UBI idea <clears throat> is a way for politicians to dodge addressing this challenge of the power imbalance between the boss class and the working class. What we should get at the heart of that and then talk about how we build the right sort of society for the working class majority. In a country like the United States, where, you know, obviously Madison has its problems, other college towns have its problems, but I, I've, I I've can see... It's a, it's, a, it's a paradise. Yeah. Right? My, <laughs> but I, I can see the, the infrastructure being here to support what you're talking about. What about eastern Kentucky or southern West Virginia uh, or southern Illinois, for that matter? Could... What you're proposing actually work in places that have been so hollowed out? Well, I think that in the places that have been hollowed out, this is one of the roles that government has to play in terms of investing in building up the the, the, the lowercase i infrastructure. I don't I don't just mean, you know, Joe Mansions, roads and bridges and airports and <clears throat> railways or even, you know, the, the, the broader vision that includes health care and and, and, and uh, uh, early childhood education, uh, child care. What, what I mean is investing <clears throat> in the structures of those economies. And in some places, that's going to not only mean those basic fundamental social rights being taken care of, but a right to income security, not only in retirement, but you know, in one's working age. If there's not remunerative work, if there's not work that is going to pay people where they live, sure, I think government has a role to play in that. <clears throat> but to say... We're going to focus on a universal basic income as the policy solution to the income inequality economy. 
just neglects to deal with the basic, you know, contradiction here in 21st century complicated um, economic society. So I don't favor letting politicians run away from challenging this. I realize that a lot of politicians, including Democrats, don't want to upset the boss class because they view that as part of, you know, what they're doing in a pluralistic society or even worse, that might be part of what they see as their their basic political coalition. Um, but, you know, unless and until Democrats, progressives and working people's oriented politicians get at that, this universal basic income thing is just a distraction. So I'm not saying we shouldn't provide income security to those places where there is not work to be done because of the inequities generated by global finance capitalism that has offshored the jobs in industrial production and processing that used to be the bedrock of places like that. I'm not saying we shouldn't guarantee income security to places like that. We absolutely should. But we should not allow this idea of cash transfer income security provision to people around the country to be a substitute for getting at the disparity in power between the boss class and the working class. That is how we are going to generate a more equitable distribution of the wealth that working people create. And from there, we can talk about what to do in eastern Kentucky and in southern Illinois. And by the way, in northern Wisconsin, too. Amen to that. Peter Rickman, Milwaukee Area Service and Hospitality Workers. Thanks for coming to Sly's office. Well, thanks for having me on. Now that I'm warmed up, I'm ready for the second hour of our discussion. Amen, brother. Amen. Sly'sOffice.com. Thanks a million. Bye-bye.